Okay, good morning, everyone. We're starting chapter 40. And this amazing chapter starts to bring everything together that we started to learn since chapter 35. And every once in a while, I feel like we should go back and remember what the Tani is about and why we're studying this. And the Tani is here to explain one verse in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, that this Torah is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. That means that the Torah is so within reach, not just behaviorally, you can act a certain way, but feel differently, or you can speak a certain way, but feel differently. It is something that we can align with even in our heart. And that seems difficult, but the Alter Rebbe starts by explaining to us that while we might relate to an everyday mundane self that is drawn to negativity or not perfectly moral behavior, we actually have a deeper core self that is our divine self and our truest self, but not the one that we naturally align with. It's the one that we have to work hard to reach. And starting from chapter 35, the Alter Rebbe starts to explain the importance of just actually getting the action done. Because if you look at the verse from the Torah, it says that matter is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. He didn't say in your mouth and in your heart and indeed. He said all of this, whatever's going on in your mouth, whatever that's going on in your heart, it's ultimately to lead to the action that you may do it. And that is of primary importance. And why is that of primary importance? So first of all, it's because a mitzvah is the will of Hashem. And to understand what the will of Hashem is, we can't really relate to it personally because we're very different. A human being and their will are two separate things. We have a will and our will extends outside of ourselves to something separate from us. Hashem's will is one with him. So a mitzvah is really an expression of Hashem himself. So it is only through Hashem himself that we can achieve pulling down divine light into this world. Because think about the greatest human being, the most spiritually sensitive person with the most developed, beautiful, sublime feelings. They cannot bridge the gap between themselves, who is finite, to Hashem, who is infinite. It is only Hashem who can bridge that gap. And he gave us the tools. The mitzvahs are called the limbs of the king. And by doing a mitzvah, we have the power to draw down divine energy into this physical world. And why is that so important? Because the purpose of creation was that Hashem wanted to have an abode in the lowest realms. And of course, there's no such thing as higher or lower to Hashem. Hashem is found equally everywhere in the same measure. And that's something we're going to discuss again in this chapter. So what does it mean, the lowest realms? The lowest realms means the place where he is least recognized. And if we're going to have a contest, the world that wins is this world. This is the only world that completely obscures the divine. A person can be born into this world, live a whole life and not get in touch with Hashem, not come to recognize him. It's possible only in this world. This is the only physical world. All other worlds are spiritual and spirituality automatically reveals its source. This world is the only world that hides its source. So Hashem desired to have an abode in a world that naturally hides him. And the way that we do that is by employing those things that hide him 
to come to express him. So when a Jewish person does a mitzvah, which is Hashem's will, so they are expressing Hashem himself through their body, through their animal soul, and through the physical objects of the world, that's how we bring Hashem's dream to fruition. So of primary importance, absolutely, is the physical action. But then we took the flip side of the coin. We said, yes, physical action is the most important. But do you know the importance of kavana? Now let's define kavana. Kavana means intention. But what kavana over here means, the intention to connect out of, to Hashem out of love and fear, meaning a Jewish person either meditates on Hashem's greatness and is filled with love for him and is in awe of him. And out of that space of true emotions, they want to connect with Hashem or they never want to be separated from him. And they realize the only way to achieve that objective is through Torah and mitzvahs. And then they run to do a Torah and, a, Torah and mitzvahs. That is kavana. Or instead of having those kind of meditations, they just think about who they are as a person and they realize that they are somebody whose truest nature is never to want to be separated from Hashem. They look at Jewish history, they see that Jewish people who weren't even observant gave up their lives because their deepest essential nature was not to turn their back on Hashem. So if they were forced to convert and they weren't even living a religious life, suddenly they would rather die. Why? It's inexplicable. It's the nature of a Jew. The divine soul never wants to be separated from him. So even if we don't have flaming emotions in our heart, but we have that awareness in our mind and the resonance in our heart, and out of that space of knowing who we are and the need to connect to Hashem, we do a mitzvah, that's also a mitzvah with kavana. So we learned last chapter that what kavana does is kavana takes the Torah that was studied, takes the mitzvah that was performed, and allows it to ascend to the higher worlds and become incorporated within the 10 sifirot, which are the divine operating force in each world. And when it does that, because the sifirot themselves are unified with Hashem, the mitzvah becomes incorporated literally within Hashem. That's what happens specifically through kavana. Without kavana, while the act is holy, the mitzvah does not ascend. So we're looking at two different seemingly contradictory points. First of all, the most important thing is the action. That's of primary importance. But second of all, kavana is also very important. Without kavana, it's like an inanimate object. While with kavana, it's like something that is a living being. So how do we understand this? The solution to this riddle is looking at a statement of the words of our sages. Our sages said, tefillah, and this is prayer or any mitzvah that is done without intention is like a body without a soul. Now, it's the same thing with mitzvah and kavana. Let's look at a body. Could a body exist even though there's no soul inside of it? It could. After somebody's soul leaves them after 120 years, their body is still complete with all its limbs, but there's a very big difference between a live body and a body that does not have a soul within it. It still exists, but without a soul within it, it is not a living being. So that's the same thing with mitzvah and kavana. First and foremost of primary importance is that there has to be a body. Without a body, there's nothing there. There's nothing to talk about. First of all, the action or the speech of the mitzvah has to be in place. There's a joke of this rich man who wanted to get the most important son-in-law. 
And how did they do it in the olden days? If someone was very wealthy, they would walk into the yeshiva and they would tell the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the yeshiva, I want the most profound Torah scholar that you have. I want the best yeshiva student that you have. I want the most brilliant, capable guy in the yeshiva. And I'm willing to support him for like 10 years or however long so he continue his studies and he will become my son-in-law. So this is what this guy did. He walked into the yeshiva. He went to the head of the yeshiva. He said, I want the most amazing son-in-law. I want the most brilliant guy in the yeshiva. You know, after all, his all his wealthy friends have the most amazing son-in-law and he feels like he's the odd man out of the club. So the Rosh Yeshiva points to a guy in the back of the room. He says, you see him? He is your man. He is the best student in yeshiva. So he walks over to him. He gives him a proposal. Would you like to be my son-in-law? I'm going to support you for 10 years. And I'll, am I going to support you for 10 years? I'm going to give you an amazing dowry right now. I'm going to give you a dowry right now ahead of the wedding. So he agreed. He said, okay. So for his most important meetings, he asks his son-in-law to escort him. He looks so important and dignified. Here he is, the wealthy man with a very brilliant yeshiva student son-in-law. This goes on for a few months. And finally, the son-in-law looks at his father-in-law-to-be and he says, father-in-law, you've been so good to me. You've given me such honor and taken care of me so well. And you gave me a dowry ahead of the wedding. But where's the bride? And he said, I I I'm so sorry. I don't have a daughter. You can't be a son-in-law if there's no daughter. There's no mitzvah if there's no act of the mitzvah. It sounds very good. Accompany the man on his trips, give him a dowry. If there's no wedding, if there's no bride, there's no son-in-law. So first and foremost, the most important part of, of the mitzvah is the actual act of the mitzvah. The actual physical enunciation of the words, whatever the practical law requires, taking the lulav and shaking it, lighting the Shabbos candles, actually doing the act. That's what has to be in place, the vessel, the body. But once that's in place, you cannot compare a mitzvah that has the kavana, the intention to connect to Hashem, which is like a living being, either like an animal or like a human being, based on what we learned in chapter 38, or one that does not have the intention to connect to Hashem. It's there, it exists, it's an act of holiness, but you cannot so much discern the life that is in it. So last chapter, we ended off that there's three categories. There's either that someone's going to do it lishma, that means for the sake of Hashem. And if someone studies Torah for the sake of Hashem, if they do a mitzvah for the sake of Hashem, what happens to their Torah study or their mitzvah performance is that it rises to the higher worlds to become incorporated within the 10 divine sefirot. If, on the other hand, somebody has contrary intentions, so instead of doing it for the sake of Hashem, they did it for the sake of themselves, then their negative intentions traps the act of holiness in this world because it's trapped in klipa and it lacks the power to rise and ascend and become incorporated in the tense if he wrote. Again, it's not that the Torah has become contaminated, God forbid. That is impossible. Instead, it has become trapped. So it's holy but it's trapped. And then there was a third category, what was called stam. That means for no particular reason. It didn't have 
the proper intention of connecting to Hashem, but the person also didn't have the improper intention of serving themselves. Instead, they were doing it because this was their habit. That's how they were trained. And so that study too does not ascend to become incorporated within the tense if he wrote. And the way to rectify that is the next time the person goes and studies that same subject in the Torah, this time when they do it lishma, they take the previous study with them and both of those together ascend to Hashem. And that works because anyway, the first study was done with some level of love that was very hidden. The second study revealed what the first study was about. It was truly for love of Hashem. Two of them together rise and become incorporated within the tense of Hero. Here the altar is going to continue and explain what happens until the person studies that again. What happens to that Torah? Does it stay below here? Just like Torah that was studied for contrary intentions. So that's where we are right now, beginning of chapter 40. But as long as he does not review this subject, Lishma, for the sake of Hashem, out of love and fear, his study does not ascend, even to the tense that he wrote, which radiate in the world of Yitzira and Asiya, not to mention the Sifirot of Bria. It's impossible for Torah study that was not studied for the intention of connecting to Hashem to rise and be incorporated within the tense of he wrote. And the altar explains why. For the Sifi wrote are a level of godliness and the blessed in so flight is clothed within them and is united with them. And therefore, when were this person's Torah to ascend into the Sifi wrote, it would actually ascend to the Ein Sof light. And that's not possible because the true nature of this Torah study is hidden. If someone would study it out of love for Hashem, you can see the connection between the person, the Torah study, and Hashem. As long as there was no intentions of connecting to Hashem through the Torah study, then it lacks that power to identify, as it were, with the tense if he wrote. So it cannot rise to the tense if he wrote. Does it stay down here? And the answer is no, it doesn't. One second, one more passage, and this is from the Zohar. And without fear and love, the Torah cannot rise to stand before God, the Ein Sof light, as is written in Tikkun Zohar. So without love and fear, this is a clear statement from Tikkun Zohar. It is impossible for this to rise and stand before Hashem. The Sefirot are one with Hashem. They're one with the Ein Sof light. As long as there's no love and fear, it cannot reach that place. But it does ascend. And that's what the altar explains now. Instead, his Torah rises to the chambers and abodes of Yitzir and Asiya, which are the externality of the world. The Sefirot are the internal aspect of each world, meaning its divine creative power. The chambers constitute the created world itself. So everything has a body and soul, including the world's. The world's soul, its inner spirit, its divine life force, is the tense if he wrote. But then there is something separate from Hashem of each of the worlds, the created being that has a separate identity, a sense of self-awareness. And that would be the external aspect of each world. And it is called the chambers and abodes. Now, of course, we're not speaking about physical space. 
we're speaking about things in terms of spiritual and it, we have to strip things of their physical meaning and try to relate it to something from its spiritual perspective. My brother once gave me this example of calling a WhatsApp group a heichal, a chamber. It's where beings of similar interests converge without being physically in the same space. It's the same idea in the higher world. Beings of similar character or qualities come together, as it were, in some shared space spiritually. And in order for them to be in the same space, there has to be some something in common, some common denominator. So what happens to this Torah? The Torah is inherently holy. The Torah's place is not in this world. This world is a world of klipa. This world is a place, like we spoke about in the beginning of class and in so many other classes, this world is a place that naturally hides the divine. This is not the natural place for Torah, even if it wasn't studied for the sake of connecting to Hashem. It's inherently holy. So what would happen to this Torah that's inherently holy? On one hand, it lacks the power to ascend into the Tensifi road and become incorporated within the Tensifi road because it lacks that total manifestation that this is all about Hashem. On the other hand, it's holy. So what's going to be with this holy Torah study? What's going to be with this holy mitzvah? It's going to rise. It won't rise to the internal aspect of the world, which are the Tensifi road, but it will rise to the external aspects of the world. Now, what is about these aspects of the worlds? Shabahen Aimdim Hamal Achim, where the angels are situated. Angels are like that too. They're holy, but they have self-awareness. They're not godliness. They're holy beings that are totally subservient to Hashem, that are in love with Him or have awe of Him, depending on their emotional character spiritually, but they have a self-awareness. So they can't be part of the inner structure of the world. Instead, they are part of the scaffolding, the frameworks, that's what angels are. And we're just Torah that lacks that inner point of identification with Hashem rise. It can't rise to the place of utter godliness because it lacks that inner soul. But it's holy. And it rises to the external aspects of the world where the angels are. And the Altar Rebbe now brings proof from the words of Rabbi Chaim Vital. This is the student of the Arizal, whose yard site was just two days ago. Rabbi Chaim Vital of Blessed Memory writes in chapter 2 of Shara Hanavua, the portal of prophecy, that from Torah studied without Kavana, angels are created in the world of Yetzira, and from mitzvot performed without Kavana, angels are created in the world of Asiya. So here we have clear proof from the great Kabbalist Rabbi Chaim Vital that Torah and mitzvahs, which are not done with Kavana, ascend to the higher worlds. They create angels. Angels are beings which exist in the external aspects of the worlds. So he said, if someone studies Torah without Kavana, an angel is created in the world of Yetzira, which is the world right above ours. If somebody does a mitzvah without kavana, that means the intention to connect to Hashem, angels are created in the world of Asiya, which is actually our world. 
It's the spiritual aspect of our world that we are not privy to because we don't have the proper glasses. In fact, if you look at the story with Bilaam, where the angel of Hashem was stopping the donkey, but Bilaam didn't see the angel. And Rashi explains that animals can see these spiritual beings, but human beings cannot because we have intellect, because we have understanding. And a human being, if they were exposed to all the spiritual realities that are, they would lose their mind. They would go insane. So somebody does a mitzvah without kavana, they create an angel in our world, an angel that we cannot see. And here's an important realization for us that every time someone does a mitzvah, it's not just about reward and punishment about their own subjective experience. Every time they do a mitzvah, or if someone does something opposite, God forbid, they create an objective spiritual reality that is an independent existence. So if a person studies Torah without kavana, they create an impression in the world, something that does not leave, a spiritual entity. If they do a mitzvah without kavana, they create an angel, a being of holiness in our world, in the world of Asiya. And Rabbi Shtezos compares this to the law of conservation of mass and energy, where nothing is created anew and nothing ever ceases to exist. It just continues to change form. Like just from someone scratching their nose, they're creating an indelible mark on reality. Could you imagine not just the physical words of Torah that we utter, but all the more so the spiritual effect of those words of Torah, it creates an impression that does not leave. So yes, the person did not have proper intentions. They didn't have the intentions to cleave to Hashem and said, this is something that they were doing because this is what they're used to doing. But the act was an act of holiness. The study was holy study. It creates a holy being, not the kind of perfect angel that would have been created if they had kavana, but it does create an angel. And these angels are attached to him, as it were. These angels fill his life with holiness. We get this idea of an angel being created by a mitzvah already from the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Ha'isa mitzvah achas, kainalai praklit echad. A person who does one mitzvah acquires for himself an advocate. The Zohar too explains that there are 613 angels connected to every single person. And every single time a person does a mitzvah, one of the 613 angels, he cre- 100, one of the 613 mitzvahs, he creates one of these 613 potential angels. So here we see that even if there was not the intention lishma, this act of holiness rises above to the higher world. Okay, but now we have to look at Rabbi Chaim Vital's words and say, how are we able to understand it in this light? And I like the way it's written out in Lessons in Tanya, so I'm going to read from inside. This indicates that Torah and mitzvot without kavana are not absorbed in the Sifi rote, but rise only to the level of angels who are created beings and thus on the level of the externality of the worlds. But one might argue that Rabbi Chaim Vital's statement cannot be cited in support of the Alter Rebbe statement. 
Rabbi Chaim Vital is speaking about Torah and mitzvahs without kavana. But the Alter Rebbe is talking about Torah and mitzvahs that were not observed lishma. How do we know it's the same thing? Maybe the meaning of without kavana, the way Rabbi Chaim Vital puts it, is that a person recited words of Torah or did a mitzvah in a mechanical manner without involving his thought at all. Accordingly, we might say that such a lowly level of observance is incapable of rising any higher than the level of angels, whereas Torah and mitzvot, lacking only the quality of lishma, may indeed, we might argue, rise to be absorbed into the sefirot. So you could say it like this. How do you know we're talking about one of the same thing? Maybe, no matter if there was kavana or if there was not kavana, as long as there were no contrary intentions, if a person does this holy act, whether Torah or mitzvah, it's holy. It rises to the tense if he wrote. And what was Rabbi Chaim Vital referring to when he said without kavana? He was talking about completely thoughtless, no mind at all. Like, for example, how do you learn Torah completely thoughtlessly? That actually makes no sense, right? If you're learning, you have to be using your thought. Okay, well, here's a trick. If a person reads the words of Tanakh, which are actually holy inherently in the words, even if they have no idea what they're saying, but they're just reading the words, that is a certain aspect of Torah study. So maybe the person was just reading off a page from the Chumash. Maybe they were just reading off a page from Tehillim. They didn't have thoughts to connect to Hashem, and they actually had basically no thoughts at all. Maybe that's what Rabbi Chaim Vital means when he says, without kavana. Or maybe he's talking about somebody who is chomping down some matzah Seder night without having any intention to fulfill a mitzvah. Maybe that's what he means when he says mindlessly. Alter was going to say, no, it is impossible. And I'll tell you why. You cannot create an angel with no thought at all. Now, all angels are possessed of matter and form. Similarly with angels created of Torah and mitzvot. The angel's matter is formed by the matter of Torah and mitzvot, and their form by the form of Torah and mitzvot. So this idea of chaymer and surah, which is a terminology employed by Jewish philosophy a lot, is everywhere. It's in Kabbalah as lights and vessels. In our world, we can, from our own experience, it's as a human being, there is body and soul. The body is the matter. The soul is the form. The body is the chaymer. The form is the tzura. And even if we look at like language, let's say, so the concepts are the spirit. The concepts are the form. The language, the words are the matter, the framework, the structure. You can use different words to convey the same concept or ideas because there's the form and there's the structure. And actually, form and structure do influence each other, such as if one soul would be put into a, a different body, it would act differently. And the same thing with language. The same concept explained in different words sounds differently. And if you're going to translate concepts from one language to another language, although it may have the same meaning, but the structure makes it different. There's a different vibe and there's a different nuance. So it's not just human beings that are composed of matter and spirit. Angels too are composed of matter and spirit. 
How is their matter formed? Their matter is formed from the act or the speech of the mitzvah. The physicality generates their matter. How is their form created? It's generated by the thought. So if there was no thought, if it was completely mindless, it couldn't create an angel. An angel needs both thought and action. If there is kavana to connect with Hashem, then that's not an angel. That becomes one with Hashem himself. But if there was just a kavana of intellect, understanding what you're studying, or the just basic awareness that this is a mitzvah, that creates the spirit, the form of the angel. If there's mindless action, there's no spirit, and so there's no angel. Now here's something very amazing, because we're talking about angels being formed from acts of Torah or mitzvah that don't have kavana. But now let's look at the words of our sages who said that a person who does a mitzvah acquires for himself an advocate. Or the Zohar that says that there are 613 angels connected to each person and they create one of them by the mitzvah that they do. Obviously, they weren't coming to say, do mitzvahs without kavana. They were coming to praise somebody who does a mitzvah. So they couldn't have intended that these angels are only created if there's no kavana. It must be that angels are created too if there is kavana. And that indeed is the case. And these are the words of Rabbi Bichayim Vital in that same passage that the altar brings here in Tanya. And I'm going to read it to you. And I want to talk about the difference a little bit. After he finishes this thought about angels created without kavana from a mitzvah in the world of Asiya and angels created from Torah study without kavana in the world of Yetzira, he says like this, And that which is created from the kavana and the thought of the Torah and mitzvahs are in Bria. So if a person does indeed have kavana, when they study Torah or they do a mitzvah, the intention to connect to Hashem, they create an angel in the higher world of Bria. But it's and not just an angel, this is a perfect angel. But there's a difference. And this is what scholars come to debate. I don't understand. If someone is studying Torah or doing a mitzvah, out of the intention to connect with Hashem, right? So they're having the pure intention and they're revealing from the outset what this Torah or this mitzvah is about. It's about Hashem. Total inner identification with the divine. Then that very Torah study, that very mitzvah act rises up and becomes incorporated within the inner aspect of the higher worlds. The inner aspect is beyond an angel. An angel is an external being. The Torah, the mitzvah performance, becomes incorporated within a tense of he wrote. Nothing to do with an angel. It's beyond an angel. So what is Rabbi Chaim Vital saying when he says that a mitz- that an angel is created in the world of Bria when there's Kavana? And it's not just Rabbi Chaim Vital. Obviously, our sages from the Mishnah and from the Zohar, when they're praising a person for doing a mitzvah and saying he's creating an angel, they're talking about a perfect angel. So Hasidic scholars look at the words of Rabbi Chaim Vital carefully. And if you see his language, he says something pretty interesting. He doesn't say that the Torah becomes an angel. He doesn't say that the mitzvah becomes an angel. He says, I'm going to read you the words again. 
והנעשה מן הכוונה והמחשבה של הטרה והמצווה בכוונה הם בבריאה. That which is created, that means the angel that's created from kavana and thought of the Torah and mitzvahs are in Bria. So they want to look at it and say, the Torah gets incorporated within the tense if he wrote, within the inner being and divine life force of the world. But the kavana and the thought attached to that Torah, that in itself becomes an angel and an angel of a very high caliber that ends up in the world of Bria. So why are we saying all of this? We're saying all of this to bring proof that Torah study that was done without intention to connect with Hashem doesn't stay down here. Yes, it does not become incorporated within the 10 Sefirot, the divine operating force in the world, because that point of inner identification is lacking, but it's still holy. It still rises. Its natural place is not this world. This world is a place that hides Hashem and an amisva is an expression of him. It rises beyond this world into the higher worlds. To which world? Well, angels are created. Angels are created either in the spiritual aspect of this world, the world of Asiya, from a mitzvah that is done without kavana, or from Torah study, angels are created in the higher world, the world of Yetzirah. And every single act that we do, every single expression that we make, leaves an impression. And here's a story from the Baal Shem Tov. It was once in his base medrash, and two people were arguing, and one of them spoke in a very mean way to his friend. And he told him that if he could, he would rip him apart like a fish. And the Baal Shem Tov called his students together and asked them to put their hands on each other's shoulders and close their eyes. And then he came to close the circle, putting one hand on one student's shoulder and the other hand on the other student's shoulder. And suddenly, all the students began to scream because they were able to see the one man dismembering his fellow. And that is, yes, in this world, physically, he didn't do that. But the words that he uttered created an impression and a reality in spiritual worlds. And this story obviously is illustrating the negative point. But here we're talking about the positive point, and that is there's no such thing as a holy act that doesn't leave an impression. Even if there wasn't the proper kavana of connecting to Hashem, an act of Torah and an act of mitzvah always makes an impression. And if there's no kavana, so it doesn't become part of the tense if he wrote, but it creates an angel. And those angels, yes, they're an objective reality. And yes, they are as if separate from a person, but they are also connected to the person. They are the person's angel. They are one of his 613 angels. And having that angel in the person's life does influence him. And it does create a reality of holiness that surrounds him. Okay, so, simil- okay, thus any mitzvah of which an angel is created must consist of more than mere mechanical action, which is the matter of the mitzvah. It must also contain some thought, such as an understanding of the words of Torah that one recites or the realization that he is performing a mitzvah. And this thought is the form of the mitzvah. When we say form, it means the spirit. It means the inner energy. Clearly then, Rabbi Chaim Vital is not dealing with mechanical observance when he says that Torah and mitzvot without kavana produce angels in Yetzir or Asiya. The term without kavana, as used here, must refer to Torah and mitzvot lacking the intention of lishma. Yet, for lack of lishma, the Torah and mitzvot can ascend only to the level of the angels, not to the sefirot. 
all the aforesaid concerns Torah and mitzvahs which lack the intention of lishma, but which were not performed expressly shalei lishma for personal motives. So until now, we were talking about neutral intentions. There wasn't the right intentions, but there weren't the wrong intentions. Let's look at when there is the wrong intentions. But Torah studied strictly Shalolishma for selfish reasons, as for example, for the purpose of becoming a scholar and the like. And again, when we said a scholar and the, and the like, we didn't mean that someone is learning because they really want to know a lot of Torah. We have a mitzvah to know a lot of Torah. We have a mitzvah to study a lot of Torah. But their interest over here is personal perfection. I want to be a scholar. It's not about the Torah. It's about me. So if somebody has contrary intentions, such as to be a Torah scholar, and that's a very subtle level of contrary intentions. Obviously, there are much worse. This is the most subtle and delicate level. Does not ascend on high at all, not even to the chambers or to the abode of the holy angels. For even the externality of the world is, after all, a realm of holiness. Therefore, Torah study with such intention does not ascend even to this level. What happens to it? But remains instead below in this physical world, which is the abode of the klipot. Since this selfish motive stems from klipa, the Torah study that it elicits remains in the boat of Klipa. So as long as the person had negative intentions, it cannot rise. Without any intentions, it rises. With negative intentions, it gets chained down here below in the Klipa. It cannot leave this world. And again, Torah study never contracts impurity. The top sages of the Talmud say, the words of Torah never contract impurity. They are always holy. They are inherently holy. They never lose their holiness, become contaminated or tainted. What happens to them is they become trapped. And there's a story of the Baal Shem Tov that he once walked into a synagogue. And he said, oh, I can't walk into here. This place is so full of Torah and prayer. And that sounded like, wow, what a compliment. The synagogue is so full of Torah, so full of prayer. What, what's the issue here? And the Baal Shem Tov explained that when there are negative intentions, the Torah study or the prayer cannot rise beyond this world. And because the people in that synagogue had self-serving motives when they prayed and they had self-serving motives when they studied, the synagogue became crammed with Torah and prayer. He couldn't walk in because someone like him could see it. And for him, it was too full. So if someone has intentions, that means for their own sake, that means truly not for its own sake, which translated means selfish interests or something other than serving Hashem, cannot rise to the realm of holiness. It has become chained to the klipa. And now the altar brings a note this note comes to support his, the Altarba's previous contention that even without Kavana, Torah study or Mitzvah performance does rise to the higher worlds. Hasidic scholars debate whether this pro proper placement of the note is here or it should have been a little earlier when the Altarba said that all angels are composed of matter and spirit because that's the statement that he's coming to qualify and possibly it was a printer's error where they put the, the asterisk for the note. So the altar was saying like this, yes, Torah study that was done without proper intentions 
cannot become incorporated within the intents if he wrote. A mitzvah that was done without proper intentions cannot become incorporated within the tense if he wrote, but it is holy. And because it's holy, it rises beyond this world to the higher spiritual worlds. It creates an angel. It rises to the abode of the angels. You can say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that it just automatically rises? Maybe it needs love and fear in order to go to the higher world. So the starts bringing proof from the Zahar. And these proofs from the Zahar are also proofs that Rabbi Chaim Vital brings himself when he makes this statement that, that angels are created from Torah and mitzvahs without kavanah. Note Zohar, part 3, page 31b and 121b, where it is similarly written, that spoken word ascends on high and pierces the heavens and it evokes what it evokes. If the word is good, a word of Torah or the like, it evokes good. Note there. So our actions below elicit res- response above. Also on page 105b, from a word of Torah, a voice is formed, which rises. And here's another proof. And on page 168b, the voices of Torah and prayer ascend on high and pierce the heavens. And this is true always, even without kavana. So he's bringing proof that while kavana is needed in order to bring the Torah and the mitzvot to become incorporated within the tense if he wrote, kavana is not needed to bring it beyond this world. It is a natural and automatic response for these acts of holiness that they will rise beyond this world. The Zohar says that there's all different kinds of voices and they don't necessarily pierce the heavens, but words of Torah and words of prayer always pierce the heavens. And this is true even if it lacked the kavana lishma. Now getting back to the main text. It is similarly written in the Zohar, commenting on the verse, what profit has a man of all his toil that he labors under the sun? So now we're getting back to the main text. We just had a note to explain that Torah rises in any event, kavana or no kavana, as long as there wasn't negative kavana. Then the Altar said, if there is negative kavana, it can't rise at all. It just stays here in this world of Klippa. And he's coming back to this idea and he's saying the Zohar comments on the verse of from Kohelas, where Shlomo HaMelech says, what profit of there, I'm going to read this, what profit has a man of all his toil that he labors under the sun? So if you look at that verse, commentaries explain it very simply, and we're going to look at the Rashbam. He says, what kind of reward or profit does a person have from all of his toil that he labors under the sun? Because in the end, he will pass and disappear from this world and then he won't have it. So on a simple level, when Shlomo HaMelech is saying, what profit does man have from toil under, that he has under the sun? We're talking about material things. You know, how long do these kind of things last for? He works and he works and he works and he's engaged in materialism. But at the end, what happens with all of it? The Zohar says that too, but then the Zohar makes another comment. And the Zohar says, The afilo amol de airaisa, avid begin yikare. Oh, one second, let me just read what they said over here. Our sages point out that only man's labor 
under the sun, meaning toil in mundane matters, does not realize any profit. The labor of Torah, however, is above the sun and does indeed profit a man. The Zohar, however, though stipulates, the afilu even with the toil of Torah, if one does it for his own glory, it belongs to the category of labor under the sun, and there is no profit in it. This is also the meaning of our sages. In the Talmud, they said, Happy is he who arrives here on high with his Torah study in his hand. What does that mean? Happy is he arrived here and he has his Torah study in his hand. What about happy is he who came here? A person who studied a lot. He's so lucky he studied a lot. No, he came here together with his Torah study means he didn't leave it behind. It's very hard to explain this expression in the Talmud. And in fact, Rabbeinu Hananel, a commentary on the Talmud, explains that it means that somebody who studied his Torah by heart. So this way it became a part of him and he was able to bring it up with him. From a Kabbalistic level, it means that he did it not for his own honor. Because if he did it for his own honor, he can't bring it up with him. He leaves it behind. Perush shaloi nishar lamatav ailam hazeh. Meaning that his Torah study did not remain below in this world. The saying thus means, happy is he who studies Torah lishma, so that his Torah ascends on high. Had he not studied Torah lishma, his Torah would not be with him in his hand when his soul ascends, but would have remained in this world. So let's wrap up what we said until now. We were saying that if somebody studied Torah without the intention of connecting to Hashem, while his Torah study does not become incorporated within the tense of he wrote, within the divine life force operating within the world, within the internal aspect of the world, because this Torah study or this mitzvah performance lacks that point of inner identification, it is still holy. What happens to it? It rises to the higher worlds. And the altar bring, brought proof from the words of Rabbi Chaim Vital, who said that a mitzvah that is done without kavana creates an angel in the world of Asiya. Torah that is studied without kavana creates an angel in the world of Yetzira. And when he says without kavana, he clearly means without the kavana of intending. He didn't mean mindlessly. How do we know he didn't mean mindlessly? Because the altar says, because angels are composed of matter and spirit, of vessel and light, of body and soul. If there was just body there, if there was just the mechanical act with no intention at all, no intellect, no thoughts process in the study, or no even recognition that there's a mitzvah, it couldn't have created this, the form of the angel. It couldn't have created its spirit, its inner light, its battery. So it can't mean that. It must mean that it was without the intention to connect to Hashem. And then the altar was said, however, if the Torah is studied with contrary intentions, with self-serving motives, like to be a Torah scholar, and of course, much worse motives that somebody can have when studying Torah or doing a mitzvah, it doesn't rise above at all. It remains below in this world. And that's the meaning of the statement of our sages that happy is he who comes here with his study in his hand, meaning he didn't leave it behind. Coming up is going to be a very amazing question. And that's going to be, how could you say Torah study doesn't rise above? How could you say that Torah study remains below in this world. Torah study is so holy. The Torah itself is one with Hashem. The Torah is beyond even the tense if he wrote that we keep referencing, that we say this is the divine operating force within the world. That is the natural 
makeup of the Torah. The Torah is divine. The Torah is Hashem's will. How do we say that Torah gets left behind, gets stuck in this world? And that's the question that the altar was going to be addressing coming up by giving us a preface of our own experience of different levels of concealment in the different worlds. And I'm really excited for that next part. And it's going to be in a few weeks. Bezra Hashem.